Hello, Harvest family. Um, for those of us here and those of us who are worshiping with us online, it's my privilege to introduce uh, our guest speaker for today. You guys, Pastor Chris Ogden is the campus pastor for Horizon West Church. And Horizon West Church will probably sound familiar because they've been in our bulletin. They've been worshiping here, uh, this very space on alternating Sunday evenings. Uh, as you came in today, you sanitized your hand, you guys. Out of the grace and kindness of Horizon West Church that was given to us by them, purchased for us by them, uh, just as a means of blessing us as they worship here. But, you know, so every time you come in and uh, sanitize your hands, think of Pastor Chris and his church and how they've uh, been a blessing to us here. Um, you guys, Pastor Chris will look very familiar to a lot of us because, you know, a little over two years ago now, he came and shared God's word with us while Pastor Dale was on sabbatical again. And we've actually tried several times to have him in, but scheduling didn't work out. But, you know, praise be to God that... Uh, his church, uh, Pastor Chris, and just, you know, we, we had the time and space to be able to uh, hear God's word from him. You guys, in conversations that I've had with Pastor Dio, just you know, as he's uh, shared about different pastors in the area, churches, things like that, I know um, just whenever Pastor Chris's name uh, came up, it was always, I, I can just sense in Pastor Dio, just a lot of uh, respect and just a great amount of fondness for Pastor Chris, his church, and just their heart for the community here in, in this area. And so, uh, personally speaking, I just want to affirm uh, two gifts that I see in Pastor Chris and the interactions that I've had with him, the relationship that we have. You guys, you may not be able to tell by appearance, but Pastor Chris can really dance well, okay? Uh, at the First Academy's uh, father-daughter dance, I saw him, and you know, he's very humble in saying, oh, you know, when you've gone to as many weddings as I have, you can dance like this. But I say, Pastor Chris, I've gone to my fair share of weddings, and I still can't electric slide or cha-cha in the way that you can. So just uh, receive that gift and give thanks to God and, and just use it for his glory. Uh, secondly, uh, but on a more serious note, just, uh, just a gift of communicating the gospel of God's love for us, of just helping us to see uh, Jesus' love for us and the world. And so we'll be blessed to uh, hear and receive uh, that gift this morning. And so again, um, you guys, if I can say, just want to encourage us, you know, just throughout this day, uh, let's uh, lift up a prayer for Pastor Chris. He's, he was worshiping and, and led us in uh, Alpha Worship Service Omega. He has a baptism to go to after this, and then he'll be back here this evening, uh, you know, leading uh, his church as they worship here Sunday evening as well. And so, again, with that, let's give a clap to the Lord as we are blessed to hear God's word. Thank you so much, and, and Eugene, I so much appreciate you uh, and the friendship we've been able to have uh, the last couple of years. And um, sometimes, you know, just because of time, it isn't as deep as uh, it, it otherwise would be, and so thank you for, for your friendship. And let me just say, too, um, for uh, DL, the same exact feeling uh, in my heart when I think of him. Um, I can count on one hand the number of pastors that I've known in ministry that I just, I mean, it was literally like within two minutes of sitting down at a Starbucks together, I'm like, I like this guy, you know? Like no pretense, genuine uh, just loves the Lord. It's so clear. Um, even even had his daughter with him uh, on that day because it was take your daughter to work day or something. And pastors work at Starbucks, so that's where we were. But uh, it just uh, such a blessing to be here with you guys. Um, and and also just to say thank you uh, for the opportunity to be in this space on Sunday evenings. You may not feel like you really have anything to do with that, but you do because that's your heart, the heart of your church and your leadership. And so thank you uh, on behalf of Horizon West Church uh, for being kingdom partners with us. Um, I was wrestling this week, as I always do uh, in the last couple weeks, with what, uh, what I might bring to you from the Lord. Um, I don't take that lightly. I, I will say, if my wife was here and heard me get a compliment for my dancing, she would be on the floor laughing because she knows that that is not the truth. But um, I do take seriously the gift that God's given me to communicate the word. And 
Um, and I always want to uh, bring the word of God that he has for a specific people because I think that's how God works. I don't get the luxury of pulling out a message I preached to some other people at some other place and some other time three years ago and go, well, let's just do this, right? Because the word of God is fresh and he's got something for you. And so I was wrestling the last couple of weeks. I had just been finishing up a series on Second Peter. So I thought, man, it would, it would be a little easier because it's fresh. I just preached it and I've got it ready. And it's like, no, it's not, that's not for this congregation. It's not, not what I have for you. And then um, I've been uh, reflecting a lot on, on the idea of Jerusalem. And this is just something God's just been in my head. The, the idea from almost Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 that this, this place keeps emerging on the pages of Scripture. That there's this place and this, the, the name Jerusalem literally means city of peace, that God desired for a people to be in a place, and from that people in that place, the glory of God would extend to the entire uh, world, and, and what does it mean for the church to recover the concept of Jerusalem, that we would be communities of peace, that where the people of God are in Christ, that we are cities and churches and people of peace, but God was like, nah, nah that's, not, that's not ready yet, that's not the one, and then, and then I even thought about you know, we live in a day and age where there's so many resources available to us, and everybody's trying to kind of carve out their own space. Um, and, and this one very specific part of the story of David and Goliath, where David is wearing the king's armor, and he comes to the king and goes, this doesn't work for me, <laughs> right? Like, I can't wear this. And he takes off the king's armor, and he grabs his sling and his stone, and he slays the giant. And, and, and the message would have been, on, you know, wear your own armor. What fits for someone else may not fit for you. Don't try to copycat what God's doing in somebody else's life. Just go in the strength God has given you, the gifts he's given you, the personality he's given you. Be authentically you in the power of God and fight your battles. And that's going to be a good message, but that's not the one I'm preaching today. Um, what, I, what I have been doing, I'm actually in the middle of doing it over the last two weeks, is just, and it was born out of a recognition that I think a lot of us feel, which is just this underlaying anxiety. Does anybody else feel that? It's like, I, I, I notice it in being too short with my kids. I, I notice it in sometimes almost being short of breath. I'm like, man, what am I thinking on that's got me so worked up? It's just this anxiety. And so uh, for the last seven days, and I've got five more to go, I've just been taking one line. Sometimes it's just a few words from Psalm 23. And each day I meditate on that line. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So far as I got on day one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When anxiety rises up, it's okay, God's got this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And every day, one part, one line in going through that. And so where the Lord ended up leading me is actually not Psalm 23, but a parallel to that in the New Testament, John chapter 10, where Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. So I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 10. We're going to read this in chunks. We're going to read in three different chunks. And I've got uh, what I believe God has for you through me, from him, is three uh, blessings, three blessings, and also there are also invitations that I believe that God would have for you from his word today. So John chapter 10, let me begin in verse 1. Jesus speaking says this, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know 
his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The first blessing I want to speak over you, the first invitation I give to you this morning is this. May you recognize the voice of Jesus. I don't know that there's been a time in human history where there have been more voices clamoring for our attention. Right? Like, we, we live in a world where there is an onslaught of ideas and theories and opinions and, and, and all of these things. And 40 years ago, uh, up until 40 years ago, news was something that was consumed in the morning. Uh, for those of you that are maybe Gen Z, there's something called a newspaper that used to exist. I think it still does, but that's how people, they'd get up in the morning and they would open this paper and they would, you might have seen, you know, something, but they would read the news in the morning and then they would put the newspaper away and they'd go on with their life. And, and maybe that evening they'd sit down in front of their television and they'd watch 30 minutes to an hour of local news, maybe 30 minutes to an hour of national news, probably not all three of those things, but news was something you consumed at one point of the day or maybe two. And then 40 years ago in 1980, a man named Ted Turner created CNN, and he invented the 24-hour news station. So now, it was not just a delivering of information, this is what's going on in your world, this is what's going on in your community. Now, 24 hours a day, we had to have people who would also tell us what they thought about what was going on in our world, in our community, Oh, and to get ratings, let's put people there that disagree with them and argue with them. And, and pretty soon, we're mesmerized by the entertainment of news. If that wasn't enough, the 21st century has seen the rise of social media. Did you know that ever since 2012, social media usage, this won't surprise you, social media usage has increased around the world. People are using social media more every year than the year before. And it, has no, it shows no signs of slowing down. In fact, at this point, the average person in North America is on social media two hours and six minutes every day. And that doesn't count other media, news, radio, all, all the other television, all the other ways we consume. Social media has now given a platform for more than a billion people to be many spin doctors and talking heads and political analysts themselves. I was joking with my wife the other day. I said, I wish there was a way for me to know what every person in my life thinks about politics. Oh, wait, Facebook, <laughs> right? Like, that's what it's become. We, we just have these voices shouting and screaming and clamoring, and it's heightened, the intensity is heightened right now by the fact that we're living through a pandemic and social unrest and an election year. And so it's not just the amount of voices, but they're getting louder and they're getting angrier, and they're getting more divisive. And all of this is going on. It's even going on in Christian circles. And I fear, my great concern for the church, is that with so many voices screaming so loudly, could it be that the voice of Jesus is being drowned out? See, there are people that are going to agree with you politically. And they're going to say things that sound good. There's going to be people that, that put out positive messages that resonate with your emotion. And you're going to be drawn in different ways because they feel like good voices to follow, but they're not the voice of your Savior. 
John 10 verse 3 again says this, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. May you recognize the voice of Jesus. But in order to recognize a voice, you have to be familiar with hearing it, right? Sometimes I'll get a, a phone call and, and I don't know the number that's calling. Typically, I don't pick up, right? Um, in fact, I got a call yesterday from someone I didn't know, but their name was on the caller ID. It's a, te- a telemarketer. They're getting smarter. They're like putting random names out there. So you're like, who is Lori? I don't know who that is, but she's in my contact list, right? And then it's like, did you know that you could refinance? Oh, oh man, she got me, you know, right? But, but this, is, this is what's happening. But, but as soon as the person starts talking, I can pretty much tell if I know the person, right? Because through hearing their voice, it becomes familiar. You will never become familiar. You'll never recognize a voice that you're not accustomed to hearing. And my concern is that we're inundated with so many other voices that the voice of Jesus is being drowned out to the point we're not hearing it enough to even recognize it when it comes. When I was younger, my family of nine, I was the middle child of seven kids, two parents. We had a seven-passenger station wagon. The math doesn't add up, but that's what we did. Um, And yes, we sat on laps and kids laid on the floorboard when we went on trips. And it was not legal, but it was the 80s, right? And that's just kind of how things were. And um, one of the things, I loved road trips, but one of the things I remember, I grew up in Sebring, Florida, about two hours south of here. And um, one of the things I remember is, you know, you didn't have anything but radio. You didn't have, you know, Bluetooth. There wasn't, you couldn't listen to whatever. You just, whatever was on the radio, that's what you got. And by about Lake Wales, going up on 27 North, or, or maybe by Haines City, you know what started to happen to the radio stations, right? Start going like this, right? It's the worst sound in the world. And you'd like play with the dial and try to get it. Oh, I like this song. I didn't want to lose it. But the song's being, you know, the faster you drive, the longer it goes. And pretty soon it's gone, right? But then after a little while, the static starts giving away and it becomes clear again. But what you're hearing is a new station, right? Why? Because the signal you were picking up when you began your journey was in one location, and as you moved away from it, it became harder to hear, and eventually it was static, but then eventually, even beyond that, it was a whole other voice on the other side. See, this is, this is what happens. By the way, when I was young, I had this concept uh, that became the idea of satellite radio. Now, Somebody else much smarter than me and more ambitious than me actually turned it into a thing and made a lot of money on it. But I was like 12 years old. I'm like, man, what if they invented something where you could have like the same station no matter where you are in the country, right? It's like, gosh, I should have patented that idea, right? Oh, well, that's, a, that's good. It's not what God had for me. It was, I was to preach the gospel, and that's even better. So, um, but I tell you that to say when we move away from the source, when we move in the direction of other towers sending other signals, they might sound good, but we're missing the source. We're missing the voice of Jesus. Now, we need to wrestle down a question that I think is a legitimate question to ask, because if I'm encouraging you to recognize the voice of Jesus, we need to ask the question, does God still speak today? And if so, how does he speak to us? Does God still speak? And if so, how does he speak to us? I'm going to tell you primarily Without any question in my mind, the primary way you can know for certain you're hearing from the Lord is by reading and studying his word. 
Jesus said in John 17, verse 17, he's praying for the disciples. By the way, he even prayed for us because he said all who are going to come to faith through their testimony, that's you and me. He prayed for us and he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. You are not ever going to be able to hear the voice of Jesus clearly if the Bible is a decoration on your nightstand. Okay? Or maybe you've got the app or an audiobook. I'm not telling you how to consume it. I'm just telling you if, if the Bible's just a religious relic or something that your parents like or, or something your, your pastor talks about on Sunday, you'll never clearly hear the voice of Jesus. Okay? So we start there. But I'm conscious of the fact that I'm a Baptist pastor in a Presbyterian church, and I want to go a little further even than that. I want to offer us an even deeper challenge. I quoted from John 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. But look at what Jesus says just one chapter earlier, just a few moments before that prayer in John 16, verses 12 to 13. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. I think it's pretty clear Jesus is saying, look, you're going to get my words, they're going to be written down, you're going to have them, and and, and that's going to be my word to you, my voice to you, but the Holy Spirit is also going to speak. And though he will never contradict scripture, he'll never, if you ever get a sense that the Holy Spirit's telling you to do something that the Bible instructs you not to do, you're hearing wrong. The, the issue's not him, it's you, right? But I fully believe, based on the authority of scripture and personal experience, that if you will tune into the voice of God, if you will lean into God's speaking and acting in the world, there will be times you'll get, we might call it a prompting. We, we like that language a little better, a sense, a prompting, or I might say a word from God to do something very specific in a very specific way at a specific time. Not because Matthew 21, 25 said it, but because it's a true principle of Scripture that the Holy Spirit is applying to your life to enact in that moment. I'm using a lot of words. Let, let, me, let me say it this way by, by personal illustration. A few years back, I was at Eagles Nest Park uh, over on, in Metro West area. That's where my family uh, lives. We lived even closer to it at, at that uh, specific time. And I was just out there to read and to pray, really trying to just hear from the Lord. And I see this guy, and he's jogging around the lake. Now, one thing you know is when people are in the middle of exercising, they, they really don't want to be engaged in conversation, right? Like that's, They're not like jogging and like, hey, I really hope somebody stops me to have a long conversation, right? But I'm sitting there reading and praying, and, and for some reason, this person was very much on my radar. And, it was, and, I, and I sensed the Lord being like, I'm supposed to have a conversation with him. So I'm like, okay, well, he's jogging, so I don't know how this works. So I just moved from my car where I was parked, kind of overlooking the lake, moved my car, and I, and I go and I sit down on a park bench. I'm just like, okay, one move, kind of, I'm, I'm positioned a little better and stuff. And I was trying to remember. I don't fully remember. I think he, on like the third lap, he like bent down to tie his shoes or something and, and, and waited a second, and I just engaged him in conversation, right? This was a couple, a couple years back. But eventually I just said, I learned his name was Eric. I said, hey, Eric, I said, this is probably going to sound really weird, but I just got the sense that I might be supposed to like pray for you or, or have a conversation with you. He's like, man, I'm so glad you said that. He goes, I lost my job like two days ago, and I don't normally exercise out here. I just came out here to clear my head 
and just to pray. So I'm just running and praying. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> like, what in the world, you know? And, and the scripture didn't say, go to Eagles Nest Park and talk to Eric, but the scripture said, everybody that recognizes my voice follows me. Scripture says, go and make disciples of all nations. Scripture says, be active in sharing your faith. And so applying the principles of Scripture, the Holy Spirit spoke it to me in a specific way because I was hearing from him and applying it, and God used it in his life. God used it in my life because it increased my faith. God may speak to you also about a big decision or through a quiet time of listening for his voice or even as a word of discernment about a certain person or situation. My wife has this gift. She'll be like, hey, I know you're, you're really high on this person. I'm not, I'm not trying to God, but just be careful. Well, what do you know? I, I don't know anything. Just, just be careful. It's like, okay. You know, like, but, but that's, I believe that's God speaking to us, God ministering through his Holy Spirit to our hearts. And we've got to do the work of learning to recognize his voice when it comes. See, here's what I believe. The, the voice of God in our world is connected to the activity of God in our world, right? I believe God speaks because I believe God acts, and the two go hand in hand. God has not been sitting on his hands for 2,000 years like, hey, someday I'm going to send Jesus back to the world. You know, that, that's not like the posture of God. God is actively engaged in our world. He is working. Jesus says, my father never uh, stops working. And I do only what my father does. So, so we're an extension of God's work in the world. And as God works, so he speaks to us. God is on the move in our world. Like the badgers in The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis's great novel, they say, Aslan is on the move. Aslan's this great mythical lion that, that's a symbol kind of, of of the Messiah Jesus. And they say, Aslan is on the move. And church, we got to recover the reality that God is on the move in our world. Yes, voices are going to tell us everything's getting worse. Voices are going to tell us everything is hopeless. Everything is scary. Everything is bad. And yet God is on the move. He is still working. He is still speaking. Someone shared with me uh, a couple months ago an app that I've gotten. Um, you can get it on if you've got a smartphone but on the app store. But it's called the Pause app. A man named John Eldridge. And this app, there's different. There's like a one minute, a three minute, a five minute, a ten minute. It's just a recognition that our lives are really fast-paced and we hear a lot of voices, but it's an opportunity to walk us through kind of a time of there's some verses that, that you read or that are read you know, through the app and a time of some breathing exercises and reflection. And what it's really doing is just it's a, it's a way to help us slow down, to quiet our minds, and then through hearing from the Word of God, we, we start to be charged back up. We talked about rest earlier. We, we need that. I would encourage you, if you're needing to recover some rest in your life, you're needing to hear from the Lord, that could be one place that you go to do that. May you learn to recognize the voice of Jesus. Go back to John 10 with me. John 10 and verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, may ha I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Here's the second blessing I want to speak over you. Second invitation is may you trust the heart of Jesus. May you recognize his voice and may you trust his heart. 
I grew up in a, in a church. My dad pastored from about the time I was, I want to say, nine to about 15, 16, somewhere in there. Um, and, and I can tell you, this is just going to be a confession, uh, when I was young, I didn't enjoy church, okay? Just didn't. Um, the, the clip-on ties and the, the, the wrinkled, you know, pants that I only wore on Sundays and, and sitting in the, you know, the hard seats and it was uncomfortable. I didn't know the songs and, and they were hymns, so the, it was too high for me. I couldn't even sing it as a child. It's like, you know, in these four stanzas, but we always skip stanza three for some reason, one, two, four. You know, it's just like the whole thing is just there, was just, there was just nothing about the experience. I was like, yes, it's Sunday, Right? But I went because I had to go because I'm in the middle of a child of seven kids. They packed us up in the blue station wagon and took us to church. And so we went. I believed in God. I understood the theological truths about Jesus' death and resurrection and, and how that pertained to my salvation, that if I trusted in him, I, I, I got all of that. But then one day I'm at EJ's Diner in Sebring. It's, it's no longer there, but this was kind of the hub, the hangout. And there's some youth group friends there, and, and somebody's doing like, an op- like a coffee shop, you know, like a screamo acoustic guitar kind of situation going on. This is late 90s. And there were some other people that were just there from the high school. And uh, this one guy, Matt, he and I start engaging in conversation. He's 16, I'm 15. I didn't know Matt well, but I knew Matt was real popular at the school and, and kind of a partier and that kind of thing. And turns out Matt had just gotten back from a youth retreat that he had gone to with some church, somebody invited him, and he'd given his life to Jesus. And he's like so excited about Jesus. And I'm sitting there at 15, good Christian kid, like he, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be the Jesus guy, you know. But he's telling me about this experience and how passionate he is for the Lord. And I start thinking, man, I've never heard somebody talk about Jesus this way. This is crazy. And so that night I'm at home and I'm kind of just like, just flipping through scripture because I at least knew enough that I knew the Bible is where you find, you know, Jesus and that kind of thing. And, and somehow or other, I land on John chapter 10, verse 10, this verse I just read, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. 15 years old. I, I had a decision to make, and I, and I knew and it wasn't like it was like this really like, it wasn't blue pill, red pill, like if you know the matrix. Like it didn't, it didn't come out that way. But what it was was a really clear choice between two options. One was that Jesus was lying. It was possible, at least to me at 15, it's possible. Because I don't feel anything like abundant life happening in my experience. The other possibility was that Jesus was speaking the truth and there was something in my experience that was missing. And, and, and by the grace of God and the move of the Holy Spirit in my life, I, I made a decision that the latter was true. That Jesus was speaking the truth. That abundant life was his to offer, but somehow or other I was not experiencing it. And here's what happened. My life began to change, not because I went from an atheist to a theist, I'd always believed in God. It wasn't even connecting the theological truths and being able to check them off the list on a mission statement. That wasn't what changed me, was seeing for the first time that I could trust the heart of Jesus toward me. That God had good plans for me. That God had a purpose 
for my life that went beyond the clip-on tie and the hymn book on Sunday morning. That, that God was saying, Chris, if you'll follow me, there is life abundant, or the NIV says, life to the fullest that can be yours. You can actually experience that. And I made a decision to trust the heart of Jesus toward me. Now, over the years, I've learned that there are people in every church, and God loves them. I'll call them scripture snobs. Um, I've even had, when I was doing the college ministry at, at First Baptist Orlando, this guy, I'm, you know, I'm in my late 20s, so I'm not like, you know, a sage, you know, older gentleman. I'm just, you know, but this kid's like 19. No offense to 19-year-olds. But he comes up to me after, after the message. He's like, that was, that was good, but you, you really took that verse out of context, you know. He may have been right, right? Like, uh, it could have been. But there's these people that just like, they're going, no, 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 you didn't, you didn't, you didn't apply there. You said it applied to these people, but God was saying it to those people. And, and it's important to know the context of Scripture and to, to be clear on all of that. But one of the places these Scripture snobs love to go to is Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know that verse, right? God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And they go, eh, time out. That's not your verse. That was to the Israelites, and the context was that they were in exile, and God was going to bring them in. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, I get that. But let me tell you this. If you think that God's plans for Israel were good, you should see his plans for the church. That promise isn't less for us. That promise is more for us. You talk about prosper? How about crowns? How about uh, streets of gold? How about mansions in heaven? You talk about not harming us. How about deliverance from the eternal judgment and wrath of God in hell and salvation? You talk about hope in a future. How about the righteous reign of Christ in perfect peace and justice and unity in every corner of our universe for all of eternity? Yes, God's plans for you are good. Yes, Jesus came that we might have life to the fullest. But... Notice in verse 10, Jesus says, there is another who wants something very different. The thief comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And how does he do this? Well, he has no power over you, no control over you, so the only weapon he has is deception. Did you know that? The only real weapon that the enemy has in his arsenal is lies. He gets us to doubt the goodness of God in our lives. He gets us to distrust the heart of Jesus toward us. In fact, I believe that every sin you've ever committed began by doubting the goodness of God. Think about bitterness. And whatever comes out of a heart of bitterness comes because I'm not really convinced that God's justice will be played out here. i got to hold on to this. i got to be bitter because God's not going to take care of this for me. What about lust? I lust and I, if I act on lust, what I'm doing is I'm doubting that I can really find true pleasure in the plan of God. Fear? I don't really believe that God will protect me and keep me. So all of these things, it's, it's the enemy constantly coming at us with, you can't trust his goodness. Yes, you can trust he's omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and all the theological words you want, but if he can get you to doubt the heart of Jesus toward you, he can lead you to destruction. This is exactly what he did in the garden with Eve. You remember what he said? He shows her this fruit. She's like, no, nah, we're not supposed to do that. He says, well, 
the only reason God is not letting you do that is because he knows when you eat it, you're going to become like him. Translation, God is holding out on you. There is more life than what God is allowing you to experience. And it says that when Eve saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for fruit and also for acquiring wisdom, she ate. And that has been the game plan for every person from the enemy from that point forward. God's holding out on you. There's more, there's better, there's different, there's other. Young people, you need to especially know and hear that there are going to be plans the enemy comes against you with to lead you away from Jesus because out there, you're prey. Out there, he can defeat you and destroy you. But if you will stay walking with Jesus, trusting his heart toward you, there can be life and life to the fullest. Let me illustrate this another way. Imagine that there is a child. I have a a six-year-old, so let's use that age. There's a six-year-old, and this six-year-old has the option. There's two adults, and one adult is offering an ice cream cone with their favorite flavor of ice cream, let's say mint chocolate chip. The other adult is going to uh, physically harm them, okay? So you go, well, which one are you going to direct the child toward? This is a no-brainer, correct? You direct the child toward what is good for the child, not what is harmful to the child. But let me extend the illustration one step further. Imagine that the adult who was going to bring physical harm is a parent who's going to slap the child on the hand for being disobedient. And the other adult with the ice cream is a stranger that the child doesn't know. Now let me ask you again. Which adult are you directing that six-year-old child toward? This one, right? (laughs) Right? A wise child will even submit themselves to physical punishment, discipline, correction, because they trust the heart and the intent of the parent. And that same wise child will run screaming from somebody offering them ice cream if they don't know who it is because the intent is in question. That person could do a lot of evil. Looks good, but the intent is wrong. And you need to hear today. Whatever in your personal experience you've seen about God's plan and God's will versus what the world has for you, God's heart for you is good. His heart can be trusted. By the way, this is the exact same picture Jesus is painting earlier in the chapter. Remember when he says the sheep will never follow a stranger's voice? Right? Because it's unfamiliar. They don't have the ability to trust and shouldn't trust the stranger. It's the same reason we talk to our kids about stranger danger. Right? You, you were taught that when you were young. Stranger danger. Doesn't matter what they're offering. You cannot trust somebody you don't know. Jesus says, do not trust the stranger. Don't trust the one who comes to you by some other way because that isn't me. Let me make this very personal because there's no way around this. You just have to walk through it. Some of us, the reason we have trouble trusting the heart of Jesus is because we've been hurt. In our walk with God, and perhaps even at the hand of God, we've experienced pain. Do you know what a child does when they touch a hot oven? They pull their hand back quickly, and they don't touch it again. And some of us have cultivated an instinct toward God that we go, well, when I show up at church, I get hurt. Therefore, you see? When I, when I lay hold of the promise of God, uh, it doesn't turn out the way I thought it would. Therefore, 
And little by little, there's an erosion of our ability to trust the heart of Jesus toward us. It happens through the loss of a job, not getting into the school that we desired, experiencing financial calamity, having marriage difficulties, uh, having prodigal children or maybe prodigal parents that we've prayed for, and they're still not coming to Jesus. Last night, I got a text from one of our members. She's 30 years old, two young kids, husband's the same age as her. 48 hours ago, he, was, he could have been here. I mean, just looking like any one of us. Healthy, we could have played a game of basketball together. And over the last 48 hours, I started getting texts from other people. Hey, did you hear what's going on with, with the family and what's happening? And he's in the hospital. There's, he's having some seizures. They're not really sure what's going on. And so we start praying, and I'm te- we're texting. And, and finally, his wife, you know, she's got so much going on, she finally gets a chance to text me back late last night. And she said, they're rushing him in to emergency surgery. They've got to remove part of his skull to relieve pressure on the brain. You're going, What? <laughs> Like, where in the world did this come from? Like, how is this even happening? More importantly, how do we trust the goodness of God when things happen that are not good? That, that are not good, that we go, man, God, th- th- this doesn't feel good. This doesn't make sense. How do I continue to trust the heart of Jesus? And friends, I can't answer every question for you. I can't answer for you why after people prayed and probably a dozen different languages around the world for my mom to be healed when I was in high school with seven children, why she would die. Or or, or why my first daughter, when we prayed for a healthy child and my wife did everything right, why she was born uh, 16 weeks early at one pound, nine ounces. And we did 146 days in the NICU. Man, how do you keep trusting the heart of Jesus? Because I'm familiar. I've seen enough to know his heart is good. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good and can be trusted. Let me say that again. Every inclination of the heart of God toward you is good and can be trusted. So may you trust the heart of Jesus. May you lay hold of the truth of Romans 8.28 that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who called according to his purpose. They may not work out for good by Thursday, They may not work out for good by November. We don't have any idea when this pandemic or this upheaval or all of this is going away. But I can promise you, if you will trust the heart of Jesus, it will work out for good. Go back to John 10. We're going to read these next eight verses, and that will be all from this passage. Verse 11 says this. Jesus continuing. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I also have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, and there will be one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Final blessing, final invitation is this. May you display the love of Jesus. May you display the love of Jesus. There is a lot in these verses that I don't have time to go into, like, you know, who, who is the hired hand in verse 12 and, and what does that all mean? Or, 
or in verse 16, Jesus says he has other sheep that aren't of this fold. He's got to bring them in. Did you know some people have actually tried to make this say that there's aliens in our universe? Like, that's what Jesus is talking about. I can promise you that's not what Jesus is talking about, right? It's a, it's a Jew-Gentile thing. But, but, but I can't get into all of that. But, but here's what really interests me in this passage. One phrase. One short phrase. Said five times in eight verses. I lay down my life. This is why we can trust the heart of Jesus. Because this is the way that Jesus loves and this is the way that Jesus leads. The God of the universe, when he visited our planet in human flesh, came not to conquer, not to exercise authoritarian power over us to get us to do whatever. He came to lay down his life. And because he laid down his life on a cross, bled and died for us, our sin was atoned for, our relationship with God was restored. This is what it means when Jesus says, I lay down my life. John 15, verse 13, he says it to the disciples this way, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Did you know that in verse 18 of John 10, what we just read, he actually refers to the laying down of his life as an act of authority. He says, I have the authority to lay down my life. Now, I can promise you, our world does not look at authority and sacrifice through the same lens, right? We see people with authority, and they're exercising control and dominance, and they hold on to their power. They hold on to their authority because that's the way of man, but that's not the way of Christ. He leads differently. He leads by laying down his life. Sacrifice is not the opposite of power. It is actually the evidence of it. It's not the opposite of power. It's the evidence of it. And in a day and age when we have people screaming for power and, and, and marching for power and campaigning for power and even killing for power, we follow one who laid down his life and we are called to do the same. Friends, I believe that the world will not be changed by Christians gaining more power. The world will be changed when Christians give up their right to power and sacrificially love the world they live in. I am not saying that we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying that we can't support a certain candidate or party, one or the other. But I'm saying if that's what you're known for, you're playing by the same rules as the world. You're grabbing for power just like everyone else. You just put Jesus' name on it. Jesus himself modeled for us sacrificial love. That as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. You don't need to respond to every critic. You don't need to engage in every conversation on social media. You don't need to go there. You don't need to win. What you need to do is love like Jesus loved. August 31st, 1997, Princess Diana was tragically killed in a car accident. And the world mourned her death, and the funeral was on every news network ever. She had spent her life really at the height of power and at the center of international media attention. What you may not know is that five days later, another woman died. And it didn't go unnoticed, but it was a little different. On September 5th, 1997, Mother Teresa died. Mother Teresa had spent her life among lepers in the slums of Calcutta, India. Mother Teresa, before she died, she has this great quote. She says, 
I would not touch a, lep- a leper for a thousand pounds. It's a currency, a thousand dollars, let's say. I would not touch a leper for, actually, for 10,000 pounds, but I'd do it for the love of God. In other words, no amount of power, no amount of fame, no amount of money could motivate me to go and live with dying people, diseased people. It's not why I do it. I do it because the love of God compels me. We must recover in our world the compelling love of God lived in and through us and pointing back to Jesus himself. You may not spend your life serving lepers in Calcutta. You probably won't spend your life doing anything even remotely like that. But every Christian is called, every follower of Jesus is called to display the love of God to their world. It starts in your home. It starts when you begin to lay down your life in your marriage, with your parents, with your kids. Husbands, we don't need to win every argument. In fact, my father-in-law taught me a really good lesson when I was first married. He said, Chris, sometimes winning is losing. (laughs) He knew his daughter, and he was right. Sometimes winning is losing. We've got to lay down our life. Her good is better than my win, right? Her, Her thriving, her being loved, feeling secure, being known, being able to have open dialogue is way, way more important. It's better for me, if I even put it in selfish terms, it's better for me than if I fight her tooth and nail to try to get my way and my decision and my control. Same thing with our children. Parents, some of us might need to go home today and apologize to our kids because we've been leading with dominance. Do this or else. If I just raise my voice louder. If your kids are young, guess what? Dad, maybe even mom, you're big. You can be scary. My wife will often say, babe, You were just like so aggressive. I'm like, I feel like totally chill, but I came across wrong, right? So I have to go back and I go, hey, I'm really sorry. That's not how I want to love you. That's not how I want to lead you. we got to lay down our lives for our children, model for them what Jesus modeled for us, and then lay down our lives in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our social media profiles. We can demonstrate a different way to our world. So I leave you with this question. Where is an area of your life that you need to begin to lay it down for the sake of the gospel. For some of you, that might be politics. You go, yeah, you know what? If you went to my social media feed, you'd know. <laughs> that's, that's where I'm fighting tooth and nail. Let's tone it down. Let's engage in conversation. Let's demonstrate the love of Christ in a different way, and let's do that together. Um, in just a moment, I want to pray a, a benediction for you. I'm going to ask the team to come up. Um, I think they're going to, are they going to close us in a song? Yeah, you guys come on up. I'm saying you guys like I know who I'm pointing to. I don't, but wherever you guys are, you guys come on up. Um, I, I do want to pray for you. And then, and then the way we're going to close this morning, I think, as long as Josiah is okay, is I'm going to close, uh, I want to pray Psalm 23 over you. The good shepherd, that you would lay hold of that promise and that prayer. Um, but before we do that, let me just offer a quick prayer. And then team, why don't you uh, lead us in a song. Father, thank you for uh, your good gifts to us. Thank you for your word that, that sanctifies us in truth. Um, God, we do want to renew um, our hearts. We do want to, uh, again, be reminded um, that we can, we can trust your heart toward us, that we can recognize your voice in us, and God, we can demonstrate your love to the world around us. Would you help us to do that, to your glory, and so that the world may know that there is a God who loves them, and God who laid down their life for them. In Jesus' name, amen.